the first couple of talks I went to, it's like, okay, there's some big money behind this, right? It looks like a yeah. rock, like a concert. And um, then just like out in the exhibit halls and then outside of the events, you know, I got to meet some cool people, you know, people who are working, people who are building stuff, you know, and they weren't in on the main stage. Um, so I went just out of pure curiosity just to see what it was like. And I'm like, okay, big money's already here. Um, I know a lot of people were kind of mixed feelings about the whole event, you know? So I went with zero expectations. Yeah, like, right. that's a good spot to, to come from. It is kind of funny, like the whole big money stage. Like, I still remember going to the Porcupine Freedom Festival and just going up there and being excited to like use crypto because nowhere else in the world was that happening. And then um, Patrick Byrne, who was running Overstock at the time, was mm-hmm. like talking about that. And I, I still remember the day that... Um, the day that they accepted crypto payments, running overstock Bitcoin specifically. Was like and so about that. And I, I it, it was kind of funny how um, that first off, it was like um, huge. It's like someplace takes Bitcoin. It's like, wow, this is insane. And then uh, New Hampshire had the highest per capita by far percentage of Bitcoin purchases on overstock in those first couple of months, even beyond Utah where the company was based. Just because the New Hampshire crazy libertarian community of, of which I am part was so was like the only <laughs> of course was like uh the only people I guess using crypto statistically as in like it was just so like our merry band of a few hundred people or whatever they were doing it here um was statistically significant to Bitcoin usage globally and mm-hmm. now it's just like of all these big things are on board um um it's crazy it's a, it's a very different world i would imagine i mean you've been in for a while so you can you've seen the changes the evolution you know. yeah um so i will i'll permit a little um you know phone usage here real quick if you want to retweet me i just tagged you because uh, <clears throat> it's a new link it's a new youtube link all right, new YouTube but, link. But we are live and stuff on the new link. Cool. I'll give that out to everybody. Are live and stuff. All right. Here, we'll uh, mm-hmm. send this out to a few folks. Yeah, whoever missed, whoever was like specifically, yeah, whoever was like specifically, oh, yeah, yeah, I really want to watch this. You know those people. Everyone else, just the retweet should should do. Hopefully, everyone lives on everyone lives on Twitter like I do. You know, well, <laughs> hopefully not. Which is a fun side tangent on that thing of um, just how how um, I actually I enjoy Twitter. I didn't used to. I've been on Twitter for about I think ten years now, maybe ten to eleven years. I've been. And for the first like half or decade or so, I did barely, I didn't use it very much, didn't get any traction. And it just been mostly since crypto Twitter that stuff started to come, it started to become a lot more fun in it. And now it's like, now it's something I use a lot and enjoy. And I have to say, like, I have a very positive experience on Twitter. There's a couple of times I come up, like I spar with some like dumb people. Um, <laughs> and there's a couple of people saying some stupid, but like, 
I think it's like it's largely gotten just the the way I use it is largely works really well. And sometimes I piss a lot of people off and I just don't get on Twitter for like a few days or a day or two. And when I go come back, I don't like address people. <laughs> it's like people have this like crippling thing like Oh, you tweet you you tweeted at you answered my thing. I have to go back. Like sometimes I'll be going back and forth with someone. I'll just lose interest and stop responding and move on with my life. And it's so freeing. And then for some people, like Jordan Peterson, quit Twitter recently because it's just too toxic. He he just felt his like anxiety go up and all this. I'm like, well, I'm sure for him it is. And but I don't know. It's kind of kind of funny how that works. But crypto Twitter is pretty crazy. How like one Elon tweet goes and just destroys the market, you know? Yeah. I mean, I've been lurking mostly, right? Mm -hmm. And for years, you know, because we had a, I don't really do a lot of social media and I started Mm -hmm. getting bored, you know? So I'm like, all right, well, let's go see what's going on on uh, crypto Twitter and Bitcoin Twitter and all this stuff. You know, I, I stayed for the memes. The memes were great, very spicy. And, uh, you know, I got a good good kick out of stuff and uh then i started engaging with some folks you know and then after a while like yeah what you would say is like all right somebody you're talking to and they're just being argumentative to be argumentative there's no real end game or point so it's just like all right enjoy you know you can take your uh your so-called win and uh we'll see you tomorrow and yeah have a good- right well politics yeah. politics is what <laughs> does it for the most part on on twitter because crypto twitter is a little like crypto political but it's not like like politics has some like at least with crypto you're in it because you want to get something out of it you're in it because you believe in the tech you're excited to make money whatever there's a bunch of reasons you might be in crypto but in politics you're in it because you just hate the world (laughs) and so there's a lot of like people who are just also, people on crypto Twitter aren't always the best at like arguing and formulating points and things like that. But the political mm-hmm. people, not to say that they are, but they're great at that mass, maximum destruction, maximum fallacy, right? The straw man, but they're like dialed in. And so whenever I dip my toes into Polita Twitter um, and I get some engagement from people who don't agree with me, which most people, they, if they don't agree, they just don't engage at all. But like sometimes you get some people and then literally my notifications will be all one person who's got like a mental problem. <laughs> that one like, guy. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, let's, let's officially roll the intro now that we've been going for a little while and I haven't seen any more disruptions. But, you know, well, fingers crossed. And let me hit the intro graphic. Let's get going. So, hey everyone, happy Friday, and thanks for being here, and thanks for being back if you jumped on the other stream and watched it go down in a blaze of glory in like a two, two minutes. So, if you're on the <laughs> correct stream, that's good. Thanks for being with me and dealing with all my live stream problems. Uh, I'm joined by the one and only Esteban Valdez. How's it going, man? What's up, dude? Yeah, so, good, good day, good Friday. Um, I'll point to you guys to, you must, I'm going to put questions up on the screen that you throw some, throw some money behind. Um, I haven't figured out how to do like a good lightning receptacle thing because lightning is like, 
LN URLs just coming around for the, you know, for like a static address you could always use. And, you know, it's not universal, but the BTC address is, um, is, goes right to a lightning wallet. So just in case you want to throw me some there, but anyway, enough with all that stuff. Um, let's just go on into, um, yeah, Davos and all that at the WEF 2022 Swift probably won't exist in five years, says MasterCard CEO, CEO. Michael Mibach, CEO of MasterCard, told an audience of blockchain executives that he expects Swift to phase out of existence in as little as five years. Um, and just talked about on panel of like CBDCs and all that kind of good stuff or not good stuff. And yeah, so first off, you seem to have a little bit of experience in CBDCs. Um, or not CBDCs, I should say, but the SWIFT system. So first off, do you yeah. think he's correct? Uh, one more time. Do you think he's correct? Do you think he's he's right on this stuff that SWIFT is going away? Yeah, 100%. That's, mm-hmm. I mean, they've been talking about this stuff for a long time, right? Mm-hmm. And anybody who's been paying attention to the WEF since like 2015, they've always been talking about you know, moving things in a more sustainable, digital, inclusive way. Uh, I mean, you can just, again, find a YouTube link. You can go on their YouTube page, you know, and scroll about. Um, they've also had CBDC white papers that they've published to. Uh, I think it's like 2020 mm-hmm. and 2021. They had an update. So, I mean, it's been talking for about a while. And, you know, you have companies like MasterCard and Visa that obviously are using Swift and making big investments into crypto because they see the writing on the wall. And it's just a really dated system. You know, it's, I have my frustrations with it. We have clients uh, internationally and then I have contractors and employees who work internationally too. Mm -hmm. And just dealing with them indirectly through our bank, you know, it's just probably one of the most frustrating things in the world. Especially when you have bank holidays and you need something to get, you need either upgrading or, you know, just become completely obsolete. Yeah. And that's the thing that I think um, it's probably one of the biggest paid points of the fiat system. I am not super familiar in the fiat system because I didn't, um, I haven't really used it much in, in the last like seven years. And before that, I didn't have very much money to use with anyway. And so, <laughs> uh, but it seems like, um, the kind of push to it seems like crypto in a way is pushing to modernization in other ways like this kind of new pressure is like well they've been just using this old terrible system forever and now it's like oh we better get kind of unified still centralized and terrible payment rails for these kinds of things with better technology we better get that in now they're kind of rushing to do that but the real answer is well, what pushed you to, to scramble to innovate real quick? Maybe it was something that makes all this kind of stuff obsolete, you know? Maybe it's, you know, actually decentralized digital payment rails with money that's not controlled by, you know, governments and stuff. Yeah, it's mostly, it is a lot to do with control, right? I mean, if you have home field advantage, you feel more confident, mm-hmm. you feel like you're capable doing a little bit more, you know, you're hoping that your opposition, you know, or your opponent is not going to be able to dominate you. And so you have people who are at the top of the pyramid, so to speak, 
who like staying comfy. They like the way their way of living. They like the way things are for them. And even though they may try to appeal to, you know, a larger base, it's probably just, you know, in namesake. For example, I mean, when Google AdSense came out, you know, it wasn't McDonald's who was advertising on it first, right? Or places like Craigslist or, you know, even the internet, it took a while for large companies to get established. You had a lot of people in that smaller domain, you know, with like IRC chat, you know, IRCs and, and other message boards, you know, building, you know, people who didn't have a voice at first. And that's what benefited them the most, right? So mm-hmm. these, you know, people up in the, the higher echelons, the 0.0001% of it all uh, kind of enjoy what's going on and, you know, fine. But I think, the, the like you said earlier, the writing on the wall of like, hey, this is decentralized, this is disruptive, this is, you know, circumventing your your payment rails, your channels and all that stuff mm-hmm. is threatening, right? It's like streaming services, you know, streaming services interrupted the cable business. People were jumping on YouTube and then as uh, more and more websites started coming about, you know, places like HBO and Cinemax and all these other cable channels realized, well, hey, we need to get on board this because nobody's watching our stuff anymore. So how do we yeah. get into it? Yeah. So. Yeah. I mean, it is, it's crazy. I personally, um, I'm kind of wondering how it's going to turn out because obviously I would not have foreseen we'd be where we are today in a lot of different ways. Um, and so I think the kind of ripple has been hanging in the, the wings for like a long time, kind of seeing, okay, well, the entire like the Bitcoin vision is too radical. It's too far ahead or removed from stuff. We'll just replace Swift. And unfortunately, I, I don't think it's like, you know, that the the meme it's like stop trying to make Ripple replace Swift. It's not gonna happen. It's like right. I don't think it's gonna happen because um the the choice is to uh would probably be to use a system that is directly controlled by the powers and actors that be rather than a completely new system or, uh, you know, the new guns. And ultimately I don't think that's going to work either though. I don't, I don't really see us going to like, Oh, this, this giant innovation leap that we have with blockchain technology. I don't think it's just going to nudge to modernize the same old systems. And that's what we get stuck with. I think that we're really getting close to something radically different. And so it'll probably be, um, it, I think it'll probably be whatever the dominant payment network ends up being, it'll probably be the, these big key players eventually just kind of like half give up. They kind of settle and decide to control a piece of it to where like, you know, they'll, they'll run them like a Bitcoin mining pool, for example, or they'll run some Ethereum validators or whatever. And they'll still have a good amount of control, but they won't have like all the control like they used to. It's just like... Because the new people jumping in who built these systems and were there since the beginning will still have like a, a significant, you know, there will be a turning over of the influencers, I guess. That's just, that's my feeling on this. Yeah, the, the pendulum swings, right? I recall, uh, it was back in high school in 97, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, a friend of mine and I, we were you know, first getting online 
you know, at home, we had our computers and we found Adobe for the, for the first time, right? And we were doing digital art and a lot of our peers were still, you know, dabbling with one machine in one place. And I just remember the backlash we got from our peers and teachers and all that. Well, that's not real art. That's not real art. That's not, you know, things are going to go back that way. And we fast forward to now and just about every artist that's working professionally is doing things digitally. Mm -hmm. But that doesn't mean that, you know, like Adobe is the one and only monopoly. There's, you know, several dozen of products that are also open source that work equally just as well. And there are people who are still working with very analog mediums. So, I mean, it's probably going to be a place where you have different currencies and payment rails and you may have a little bit more choice. Right. So like, yeah, you're not stuck just like, like, I love Bitcoin. I, I, it's a really great tool. It's been very good to me for like the last couple of years. Um, it's been great for my team. It's been great for my clients. But if at some point somebody wants to switch over and use like Zcash or Monero mm-hmm. or whatever the case may be, it's like they're open to do that. Right. If mm-hmm. they want to jump into the stablecoin world, it's like you're open to do that, too. You have choice. Right. Which yeah. is something we haven't really had in a long time is optionality. Mm-hmm. You know, it's I'm stuck. Like, for example, when I'm working with clients internationally, it's okay, well, what medium or what, what's the currency we're going to use? What are we going to base the project on? We're going to base it on Canadian dollars, British pounds, euros, yens, wands, pesos, dollars, you know, and we only get that mix. But it, it's, uh, I like the options that we have now. If somebody wants to do things, and, and maybe that's a, I think Jim Rickards put this one best uh, a couple mm-hmm. months ago. He's like, we have money ness, but we don't necessarily have like money itself. So mm-hmm. it's probably going back to a place where you can choose your payment options, right? If you're a producer yeah. and you want to be paid in, in dash, okay, you can get paid. Like you're, you're mm-hmm. a producer, you have, you dictate the payment terms. If I want to be paid in Bitcoin, you know, it's like, this is what the cost is at the fixed price, et cetera. You know, you have options that work for both parties, you know, and yeah. that's exciting to see it's having that choice. Yeah, and that's something that, you know, I mean, it's a little off, little off script, but that's something that's very, um, it's becoming far easier today is, um, so for example, I know uh, probably my favorite crypto payments processor for online transactions is coin payments because they've been around forever. Everyone uses them. And I, I sometimes call, call them shitcoin payments because they accept every crypto under the sun, basically. <laughs> Like everyone, even things that you thought were long dead that like barely exist anymore, like just everything. And so like you can pay with like, you know, the random, most random token you ever consider if you want to want to do this. And some people just take all of them. And I don't think it'll be that diverse in the, the future. But at the same time, uh, there's something, the friction of switching between uh, currencies is extremely going down is going down by a, a huge margin because so for example um some friends of mine run a payment processor called ctx and they take me a usual like half dozen payment coins or whatever and they're working on a Thorchain integration back end so that through a decentralized protocol you could receive whatever coin you wanted so let's just say um uh, just say you're bitcoin maxi and that's all you want but 
you get customers that are like, I want to, you know, or like say you have customers in like different countries where something else is popular or that like, you know, the fee levels are too low for some kind of thing and they're just, they want to use something else and it just, you could receive it and then just through the magic of an actual decentralized protocol, right? Just zap and then there you go. You ended up receiving whatever you want minus like a very small like, you know, trading fee that, that works on the protocol. And then in that way, it's just, you don't really need to care what people pay you. And they just say like, you know, it might be at some point they're like, Hey, this weird exotic coin, like I want to use that one. You might be like, all right, I don't know. I got to see if it's supported on this thing, but you know, it'll look pretty interesting to see. I do think that the number of payment options are going to start to like condense in crypto mm. to like, you know, X for a while. Who knows? That's just a random guess. Right. I mean, we have hundreds of currencies currently, mm-hmm. so it's just going to be a multi-currency world. Hopefully, you know, we don't get locked in on the CBDC front and, mm-hmm. you know, we're not able to switch out, you know, and can't go anywhere else. Yeah. But never know. Cause I mean, once in power and people like, you know, the taste of it, it's kind of hard mm-hmm. to let go of it sometimes, you know, and, that's kind of the troubling part of this all. It's like, there's a lot of speculation, you know, we Mm -hmm. can all talk about what could or couldn't happen, but ultimately we'll only know when it's there. Yeah. That's the question. Like, do we even want it to be there to begin with? (laughs) Yeah, of course. Let me hit this, um, inflation thing as economic conditions continue to worsen financial experts worldwide are increasingly placing the blame the feet of the United States federal reserve. I wonder why after the central bank has been slow to respond to rising inflation early on. Basically, analysts say the Fed has no choice but to continue to raise rates, raise interest rates. So, um, yeah, what's your hot take on that whole mess? I mean, yeah, they can try. Um, Mm -hmm. But ultimately, you know, you have things like an election year. And mm-hmm. <laughs> you, certain yeah. people at play, like, and especially since the Fed has become highly politicized, you know, one way or another, it doesn't matter who's in the, in power at that point, but nobody wants to go in on a losing streak. So mm-hmm. there may be some pressure for the Fed to ease up on it. And, you know, there's been articles about this popping up as of recent on like zero hedge and, uh, you know, business insider where it's like, you know, the Fed may have to ease up for a little bit, you know, come I think they were saying like September just to get some kind of rally for people to start feeling good and change the narrative. And mm-hmm. then it's like, oh, okay, come voting time. Hey, you know, things are looking great, especially if you've been beaten down so low to the, you know, to the floor and, you know, you're just popping your head up for the first time. It's like, oh yeah, things are great, you know, but you were standing, you know, minutes earlier. Uh, it's just, uh, they're going to have to, I mean, again, I, I can only speculate. But I think, how do you get, how do you dig yourself out of this hole, right? Yeah. I mean, you just have to stop digging and start working on climbing your way out. But at this point, you know, you might as well continue to dig until you end up on the other side of the world. Yeah. I mean, that's kind of the, um, it's like the the, the kind of Ponzi-ish levels of that. The thing is, like, automatic systems automatically adjust. And when you have a manual system, like trying to control the economy from the top, it doesn't mean like 
you're still not immune to the the laws of nature but at some point uh you they try to control things here and there and inflation rates and things like that because they have the economy the way it is because they've been keeping artificially low interest rates right and they like for example um let's say last year or this year it's like you got like a three or four percent interest rate on like a you know 30-year mortgage and i mean that's lower than inflation you know requires you know its own set of conditions and so the thing is the the bubbles keep on being blown for so long it's just like when you um if you're staying up for like three days straight and you keep just pounding the coffee to like keep yourself up eventually you it doesn't work anymore but if if you can't afford to crash right now because you got a deadline or whatever you can't afford to just let that that happen and so they're going to keep on pumping it up until it'll be a good time to crash or which you know, never really is but or until they just can't pump it up anymore and so it's like you'd think that after crazy inflation for example and you know the interest rates you think that they could just afford to pull it back and be like you're okay well you know no one's gonna we're gonna give people no reason to go to crypto now but then they can't because they're on this he who rides a tiger does not easily dismount they're on it they they're there you know it's kind of where, the way we're headed and the only way through the only way out is through and the only through is to just start jumping on the life rafts you know yeah i mean i want to say it's hubris but i don't know if that's really the right word right maybe maybe in some context but essentially they're they're pulling levers right inflate mm-hmm. deflate inflate deflate and they're not allowing the markets to work you know mm-hmm. they're not this i think this is where my my big fascination in you know the crypto space itself it's like to me this seems like the 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 most freest market we have right now right projects that are good you know they'll succeed projects that are bad they crash and burn hard there's mm-hmm. no bailout there's nobody there to come save you you know and you you've got to learn you know from your mistakes right and i don't know if that's the only market we really have per se where it's like nobody's interfering just yet i mean they're trying to um but again it's, it's just thinking yeah, it's like thinking that, you know, I can control how the markets will go, right? I want it to inflate. I want markets. I want people to buy this and not buy that. Um, I want people to stay home and, you know, never go outside. Or I don't want people to stay indoors anymore. I want them to go spend, spend, spend. How do we, it's just, it, that's so, that's the antithesis of, of human nature and desire and what people want to do, you know? And that's just more of a command economy than anything else. Mm-hmm. Right. And so yeah. how long do you keep that up? And, and at some point, you know, you're pushing, you're pressing the lever, pushing buttons, moving levers and nothing's moving anymore. Right. It's like the, the car gears are stuck and you're going downhill now. Yeah. And that's the thing about the, um, about the, like the free market kind of thing, a radically free market has a lot of crazy stuff that happens in it but over time there's always opportunities for it to go kind of fill out the other spaces and i'm trying to think of like what are the only radically free markets are ones who haven't been regulated yet and if they haven't been regulated yet that must mean that they're new and so the and unfortunately though because 
of the money, <laughs> anything with the old money is probably still regulated, right? And so basically crypto and all its spawned industries are the only really free markets. The closest I was able to to think of think about just now, as far as like free market type like industries, is probably the martial art industry. Because there hasn't been like in the Western world widespread you know, Eastern and then other martial arts instruction until like the last 50 years or so, really. It's like the Bruce Lee times really made it a thing. And then it ended up, it wasn't until like the the birth of modern mixed martial arts in the early 90s was like the start of like that, the actual industry where it's like, okay, now you have, you have to figure out, you have a free market environment of, beat someone up right <laughs> the truest free market environment you can have and then people are all finding out how to compete for the top spot there in an extremely loose i.e unregulated rule set which has gotten more regulated over time but it's still basically very you know loose and so what gets the job done the best who can you what you know dietitians whatever you know exercise programs etc else for athletes works the best or you know what moves work the best what styles work the best and then you just anyone can open like because i i taught taekwondo for many many years and it's like each organization has their own like i guess franchising requirements but outside of that literally any jackass can just put on a belt and just say i'm a master and like okay where no one cares just what can you do that you're kind of out there and it's kind of like the early you know the shitcoin boom of like 2013 and around there where just everyone was hitting copy paste on the Bitcoin code with a couple little tweaks and there was just a million things out there. It's kind of the same thing where like everyone's a sensei and over right. time it turned into, well now it's starting to turn into like a utilitarian slowly. I have to say it's not, not going that fast, but utilitarian thing where you, now you have to, now your competition is not on sales. It's on, results and that's what kind of drives the sales and so now it's like well which martial arts are effective which schools can teach you to be an effective fighter in a way that will win you fights and make you money and make you a living and so that's all there and then we're starting to sort of transition into that a little bit with um with the crypto world the crypto world's like what 10 15 years behind the martial art world and now i would say the martial art world is starting to be like practical finally like really like encompassed well understood like the free market seems to have like ironed out into something that you know people understand so the crypto world's not too far behind that's an interesting take on it i mean it reminds me of like my industry for mm-hmm. animation you know people would work at a studio and then they'll quit but they'll take some of the work product with them make their own reel say i'm a shop and then try to hustle for work you know, and sometimes it works and sometimes, you know, they don't have the chops for business and they get punished pretty heavily, you know, by going out of business or having to go back to the studio. They they stole stuff from with their tail between their legs. And I mean, still, even in the art world, you know, mm-hmm. nothing is 100 percent like nobody knows how to price anything still. Okay. And it, it's oh, like that it's just so- that's just everyone like the yeah. laughable, like how laughably bad people are at pricing cracks me up and it, it doesn't like the martial art world's a big 
thing of that too. But then even like the contractor world, like how do you price your, you know, your plumbing services and stuff? No one knows how to charge. Right. I think that's the interesting part about all of this is like it, you start to find out what's the value behind the product or service you're giving. Right. Mm -hmm. And the only way you can do that is just having that market be open. And, you know, if you don't agree that my services are X amount of dollars, then what do you think it is? And where can we meet in the middle? Mm -hmm. Right. Cause I think that's something that we, as far as businesses go, right. You don't want to just price yourself out of the market. You want to be able to stay in business, but you don't want to cut it so low. And the consumer doesn't want to not have the product or service available. So that's some, there's gotta be some sort of peaceful resolution between the two. Right. Yeah, of course. I feel like that's the way it, it really is, you know, on the individual level. Right. But when you're looking at nations, you know, it's not really that way, you know, all mm -hmm. the time. You know, it's, oh, we're going to tell you what the market is. We're going to tell you what the, what you can spend on, you know, or this is illegal or that's not illegal. And yeah, or, you know, the value of one UST is equal to one USD. That's another price fixing disaster that happened, <laughs> but maybe that's a little too soon. huh? I don't know if it's too soon. I mean, in the, the digital realm, right? I mean, mm -hmm. five minutes like almost five weeks so yeah things on pick up quickly so I, I, the other part and this is what i've been finding about with you know crypto twitter bitcoin twitter whatever twitter version you want is sometimes these people uh what was it fat man i guess oh yeah i follow them yeah yeah it's been really spicy and uh i've got my bags of popcorn just sitting on the sideline just every time i'm reading it's like who needs a, who needs fiction this stuff is great you know and yeah. it's it's very cautionary if you're paying attention to it and you're kind of people are very relentless and ruthless sometimes too. So, yeah. And that's one thing that like, as someone who believes in maximum freedom and minimum government all the way to zero, uh, it's, it becomes a little inconvenient sometimes, but it, it's just a truth of the world is when you have radically free systems, like the unfree systems, I believe are a net drag on humanity. However, they do tend to a lot of times be the biggest drag on low level unsavory characters, high level unsavory characters run the show. <laughs> That's just the way it happens. Like the, the smart polished crooks are all in power, but like the right. petty crooks do kind of suffer under the kind of regulated system. So when you have a radically unregulated system, they all go right there. And I've noticed right. that with like, the greater liberty movement and stuff like in the early days you have a lot of just like weird creeps and like scammers and people like that it was like a big percentage of them and then just as the move the movement grew and became a little bit more you know normal they kind of ended up you know finding other places and the same thing with crypto right like any as i i try to have a good um like everyone's kind of kicking themselves for uh the Luna thing about like, Oh, why would I, how, how could I buy into this? Like what turned out to be like a Ponzi scheme kind of. And, right. and it's like, how do you not see with like the Bitcoin guy and everything? How do you not see that that is a freaking scam? How do you just not? And it's like, well, it, it was very overtly scammy back then. And now there's a little bit more tongue in cheek about the scammy or like layers 
to, you know, kind of hide it, you know? So. Yeah. Well, I mean, the snake oil salesmen, they just get better with time, mm -hmm. right? It's, uh, yeah. get a little bit more polish, get a little bit more money behind it. You know, they understand like what's going to attract people and maybe they're not, I mean, they obviously don't think it's a scam. They believe themselves very highly. Right. Mm -hmm. And it's just more opportunism, which I found really interesting. Like the whole, you know, Luna debauchery is, mm -hmm. you know, I'm just looking at, you know, the, the founder of it all, like Do Kwan, right. Yeah. Um, just listening to interviews oh, wait. And, and it's I, not the same person <laughs> yeah it's, it's not it's just and then other founders and that's something that i've also been noticing too is just looking at founders and their projects and their personalities and how do they interact with others and mm -hmm. some of it just kind of like yeah you can read the white paper and all that stuff and the technical aspects sound good but then you go to sort of the the, the choke point right mm -hmm. is the founder which is you know the things they say and do how do they interact and you know the general public will look at that right because uh, that's just how we are as people you know we'll yeah, look to like those individuals and it's like well this guy's just saying the most brutal things overconfident overzealous over whatever no matter which crypto project it is right all across yeah. the board and that's either a turn on or a turn off and you know for a lot of people it's like I'm look like the reason they get into these things is because they're looking for a way out of their current yeah. situation, and then they fall in love with uh, with this project and you know the creator of the project and the foundation behind it, and it's just a downhill you know slip from mm -hmm. there, and it's unfortunate. But the the part that really gets me is that you know people are like I still believe after the <laughs> after everybody's been broken, it's like I'm committed. I'm holding this bag. I can't let go. I'm hoping that something pops up out of this. And it's like, dude, just cut your losses and, you know, take the, learn the lesson. Right. Yeah. It's, it is kill crazy to see like brand loyalty in crypto, especially since almost no one uses crypto to develop a personality around it on Twitter. It's just like, yeah. well, you don't touch it. Like it just, it's a, a graphical right you know at least they like drive a tesla you know yeah. it's like iphone no one's like an iphone diehard an apple diehard who just owns only android stuff it just doesn't exist you know right. you just it's just kind of weird the way that works and people get really attached on these things uh there's a lot of like a deep sense of belonging that people are looking for who don't belong to other tribes and things but then there's also just that like you know under the guise of protection the government and fiat systems have just put so many burdens and so much weight on top of the global economy on everyone. And so people might have like stable lives, but they're stable in a very narrow channel to where their potential for growth and growth of wealth is very limited unless they're one of the much more educated people, one of the people who has a lot of capital to deploy, all that kind of stuff. And then they're just, with crypto, it's like, oh, if I can get crypto, I could go up to here i could actually retire when i otherwise couldn't figure out how to do that and so then they become emotionally attached to that idea of like i could actually be somebody which i couldn't in the old world and then right it's kind of how we end up like that yeah i mean it's crypto stocks you know real estate there's some kind of pain point that they have mm -hmm. you know and they want to fix something that you know ultimately they think an outside 
force is going to be able to do that or an outside product mm -hmm. or an outside person. And, you know, I, I get that. Um, but at the same time, it, it's all these scammers, you know, they, they kind of, it's very predatory in that way, you know, very, in a very indirect manner. And yeah, brand loyalty is one thing. Um, but it's such a deeper problem, right? Mm -hmm. It's such a deeper issue. And, you know, I was chatting with the, like I had this meeting with our, our chamber of commerce because we're trying to like make our city, you know, St. Petersburg, yeah. Florida, a lot more crypto friendly, you know, very, yeah. that's one, just, one of the things. Let's just roll into that whole thing about your, yeah. how you're doing crypto stuff today and like where you came from. Yeah. And all that. But yeah, so we'll just hit the chamber of commerce thing. So I don't, I don't want to interrupt that thought. Yeah. Um, so part of the thing that we, like I've been doing quietly for some time, you know, is working with, you know, the chamber of commerce, our economic development council, you know, and mm -hmm. on my own, just like going around to, cause there's a lot of mom and pop shops here still, especially in the downtown area, you know, all the chain, you know, stores and big box marts, you know, those are outside of the city limits. And so who could stand to benefit from, you know, Bitcoin, crypto, whatever, uh, more than, you know, mom and pop shops, you know, and people, there's also just another part of the city, which is underbanked and unbanked and trying to yeah. get them involved into the ecosystem, right? Trying to get them involved in that, that way. So it's like, where's the pain? Well, the pain is this, right? Pain is there's, you know, everybody's competing against inflation and then you may have some deflation and, and that might help for a little bit, but, um, you know, how do we get all these individuals involved? How do we better, like our community, how do we better, you know, our business community, which really is, you know, just small businesses, you know, left and right. Yeah. Um, and so that's where I've been working with our chamber uh, and with our economic board. I was like, well, how do we get that? How do we get, you know, how do we sustain our small business community, you know, so that they can adapt with the times and move forward? How do we get the people who couldn't participate in the current financial system you know, into the system now. And, you know, crypto has been sort of the champion, you know, of this one, you know, branding aside. Um, but it's like the main point is getting people access to participate. You know, if if we look at, you know, Bitcoin and crypto as a way to communicate value, then essentially it's a form of speech. And mm -hmm. these people who are not able to participate have no voice. So that's sort of the big, big push, you know, it's like, how do we get these people to have a voice? How do we get them to, you know, get involved in the economy? How do we help them, you know, rise? How do we rise all tides? You know, that's then just looking for solutions. So that's what I've been doing sort of in the background for the last uh, couple of years. And yeah. So what year did you get into crypto? Do you, I mean, first, when did you hear about it to a point where you, got interested and then when did you actually like jump in so i heard of it in 2010 right mm -hmm. uh didn't really pay too much attention to it you know it was very uh very political about you know the 2008 crisis you know like mm -hmm. my family lost everything and mm -hmm. you know it's also dating back to to like 2001 um, during that time of craziness, it's like, all right, you know, what's what's really going on? So my 
I was never paying attention to the economy or to finance or monetary, you know, policies or fiscal policies or anything like that. Yeah. And uh, it wasn't until like 2019 where my business was doing really well. And the thing about like animation is, you know, the margins for us are so razor thin and, you know, the rest of our industry is highly leveraged. You know, mm -hmm. you can look up companies like Digital Domain, uh, Rhythm and Hughes, Arc Productions. I mean, they were just one missed payment away from bankruptcy and they closed their door soon after. Right. Wow. So you're talking hundreds of thousands of jobs lost because of you know the way our economic system is built, the incentives around it. And I've always been trying to figure a way out like, well, how can we not be like these people? How can we, you know, do better? And <laughs> I was a, I was always a, a precious metals guy, you know, from the start. Mm -hmm. And I was wondering like, okay, well, what if I put like precious metals into the company reserves and use that as a way to preserve, you know, our purchasing power, you know, cause I, I wanted to be able to do that. Um, and then in 2020, during the lockdowns, you know, I was like, well, hey, you know, silver's on the move, gold's on the move. Maybe I can use this to pay people and, you know, not lose our shirt while everybody else is suffering. Right. And it was really interesting because the entertainment world just kind of flipped upside down. You went from all these live action productions and they just stopped. Everybody switched over to animation and we had this big boom. Right. Yeah. And Oddly enough, like you think that. Yeah during a crisis of sorts, an economic and global crisis, I guess, you'd think that animation is like a luxury good almost. It would not really take off during that time. But funny enough, because people still wanted to be entertained, especially because people were sitting around not working, you know, right. they still had a demand for the industry, but the industry could not compete in the physical world. And so it's right. just, it's kind of funny how that works. Yeah, I mean, even during the good years, right, like m most small animation shops were having such a hard time staying open, keeping the, you know, keeping employees paid, keeping their vendors and contractors, you know, taken care of. And so we're just like, all right, we don't really have much like my business is all is an all cash business, right? Mm -hmm. So I mean, we don't take loans or lines of credit, even though it would be very helpful and, and you know, get us leveraged up. It's in this environment, it's almost too dangerous, right? You're playing with fire. You know, and, and you, you're playing with matches at a gasoline station is kind of what yeah. I look at. And, you know, I don't want to be in that situation. So how do we preserve our ability to do this? And, you know, I was looking at it was 2019. I was really paying attention to the macro factors of, you know, the economy, you know, our industry. What's the thing that's going to happen next? You know, uh, if we're losing, you know, depending upon whose statistics you read, was like 8% uh, inflation or it's a 16% inflation, which one you want. And just trying to preserve my, the purchasing power for my employees and my contractors. So I was trying to pay them in gold. <clears throat> uh, that, <laughs> That's that a noble, was, noble thought. <laughs> yeah. It, it, most of them have never seen an ounce of gold in their hand. You know, they've never held an ounce of gold in their hand at all or an ounce of silver and they wouldn't know what to do with it. And I'm like, okay, well, that's the problem with the precious metals is nobody understands that the education factor is gone. The utility factor for like everyday commerce is gone. And I have people around the globe too. So what am I going to do? Mail them, you know, like uh, five, four ounces of gold, you know, or, or silver to, to pay their wages and they'll get there by like next week, you know, or, mm -hmm. or in a month. Um, and then in 2020, like during the election season too, 
and I think it was getting close to the height of like that, uh, a lot of movements happening all at once. And mm -hmm. if you had contrarian views to, you know, Hollywood, uh, you'd find yourself on the receiving end of the stick. And that was often the result of like, you know, bank foreclosures or, or seizures or denial of service. Um, and it's like, all right, well, how do I take care of like my crew? How do I take care of my company? How do I take care of myself? And that's when I really, really, really got into to Bitcoin into the, the crypto space. It's just like, okay, what's, what's going to work. And I didn't just dive into Bitcoin first. I dove into everything. Like I read white papers for, uh, for Bitcoin, Ethereum, Dash, Litecoin, Ripple, when it was still listed on some exchanges, uh, just a whole bunch. I think it was like 20 coins altogether. And mm -hmm. just through experimentation of like what would work, what wouldn't, and then kind of settling on what I have now. Um, you know, for a lot of reasons, it's just, it works for us. And it's like, yeah. here, we're going to send you Bitcoin. It was very easy for them to take. They understood it because uh, everybody at that point, and I found it funny is that I would go to, you know, a restaurant later on, like, and, and notice that, okay, the, the Thai place that I go to or my barber or whoever already has Bitcoin, you know, maybe like mm. five, $10 put into it. So it's, it just worked conversation for starter. Yeah. Yeah. And for my team, it's like, Hey, let me just send this over to you. Even though you're sitting in South Korea right now. Right. I'll just, mm -hmm. here's, your, here's your check or here's your payment. And it's like, Oh wow, that worked. And it's like, what can I do with it next? You know? And then from that point forward uh, in 2021, we started accepting Bitcoin payments from clients. You know, that was very interesting. It kind of led to another boom for us. Because, you know, people who had you know, Bitcoin or other crypto was like, yeah, I, I want to spend it. I want to make something with it. I want to do something with, you know, this newfound, you know, capital. Uh, where can I go? So, you know, they'd hire us. We use it, you know, direct wallet to wallet and just start, you know, issuing payments in that. And I'm like, wow, this actually works. Like it's, this is functional. It's act with it. Like not everybody took to it, right? Mm -hmm. Watching Naomi uh, Rockwell's videos. Um some other people's like how do you do this like what's the best way and then i since that time uh just been documenting you know in, in journals like how do i do this and then uh this year i've been giving workshops you know to my crew to other businesses and saying this is my experience this is what i've done this is how you use it you know mm -hmm. places like bit refill you know came along with their their bill pay service as of yeah, recent that was great it was huge and i feel <laughs> I feel like their timing was very succinct on, on a maybe a joking level, but I had a buddy who wanted to kind of jump in and swim and say, Hey, I'll take my payment in, in, in Bitcoin. And uh, he had to pay off a, a bill, but he wasn't sure how to do it. And he's over mm -hmm. in the middle of America. And uh, he taunt, <laughs> contacts me up afterwards. Like, well, this was a fun experiment. I learned a lot. I also learned how to piss my wife off even more now. So, uh, we're going to cut that experiment. And it's like, okay, got to work really hard on the educational front. Like, yeah, really hard. And it's, I think I was reading something uh, earlier this week. Uh, the Federal Reserve put out a, a, a paper that was saying like only 13% of Americans, you know, have held or hold crypto at present. And of the 13, 2% have used it for. I think, but it, it also. Assuming it's correct, it's that's pretty good. That's like 
out of 10 people, one is a crypto person or has been at some point. Right. And that's like, that kind of confirms my um, gut feeling that it's the earth that we're coming into once this bear market goes down and we start to hit the bull run again in a couple of years that we're going to hit the early majority adoption phase where right. it's, it's not mass adopt, not like everyone takes it, but it's just like, you will see like one out of 10 people at the coffee shop paying with it on a daily basis. Like just people you have never heard of. And so, right. Also, that 2% figure you quoted seems pretty high. <laughs> I think it's, it's probably lower than that. Because just based on my experience of like crypto diehards who have mm -hmm. ever done anything, I think maybe some people are like, well, you know, I like sold some and then I, I bought, paid for something with it. And they counted that. There might be just my gut feel. Maybe I'm pessimistic, but it's, yeah. Rightfully so. Because, I mean, to me, 13% was rather rather mm -hmm. high right yeah it's like i don't know if that's you know i mean when they're doing their cpi numbers right it's like oh more people bought chicken than they did beef let's switch out the numbers to make it you know even things out or shine things in a better light i don't know if the fed was trying to put things in a better light or make it seem like it wasn't as important but you know one thing that i do see though is that like on the city level like for us here in, in, in st pete um mm -hmm. You know, they, we want to get this thing into the, the economy now, right? Like we want to start, they see it, everybody understands what it is. And so it, to me, this feels like the day before Wi-Fi, you know, came on the scene, mm -hmm. you know, everybody's still plugged in, you know, with ethernet cables and, you know, sooner or later. I gotta be plugged in with ethernet yeah. to make sure I don't get these streaming problems, but anyway. Yep. So it's very early and mm -hmm. I mean, there's a lot there's a lot of macro factors at play which makes mm -hmm. me very optimistic cautiously optimistic about yeah. you know the future um even though there are some pretty you know terrible things out there again a lot of it's speculation we won't know until we get there you know and it's just like let's just kind of take it day by day but still very optimistic to see where where it goes yeah so when you're doing when you're encouraging employees to take compensation in Bitcoin, um, how does that work? Do you just tell, do you just say, oh, by the way, we're doing this thing. If anyone wants to, you can. Do you say, do you like sit them down and talk to them about it and be like, in, like try to push them in that direction? And then like, how's the response been for that? Do you offer them like a bonus if they do? Like how is, how's that figured out? So the way that I've done it is I've just left on the table, right? I was like, mm -hmm. here's how we can do payments for you. You know, we can do a paper check. We can do a wire. We can do Zelle, you know, Venmo, mm -hmm. Bitcoin, you know, and it's just a part of the regular conversation, right? Mm -hmm. And what we've done as far as Bitcoin goes is like, you know, on the company wiki page that we have, you know, it kind of goes through the process. Like if you're interested in taking Bitcoin, here's what's going to happen. Um, mm -hmm. here's what you need to do to get it. Here's what you need to use to store it, you know, securely. Here's a couple of reference videos. And we try to give it, you know, its own little Wikipedia page for us. So they have some education on it. Again, I also give workshops for anybody that's interested that wants to take it. Um, and then people will be like, I'm curious. Yeah, I'll do it. And then to make up for the volatility as well, you know, we do add a little bit of a bonus just to make mm -hmm. sure like, Hey, when you get it today, it's not going to be like $10 less tomorrow. Like here's a cushion, 
we understand that there's some some issues, just mm -hmm. let me know. And what's a good percentage cushion in your experience? So between a ten to fifteen percent has been all right. You know, um, yeah, it's a little. That's nice. It, you know, yeah, it, it it seems to work for them. You know, of course, like bull markets, you know, we don't really have to do as much. Um, but it's just teaching people the basics of like how to get it, what do you need to do? But it's never forced on anybody. And mm -hmm. kind of the way I've been hoping that the transition is, is, you know, you just think of it as your everyday payment. You know, it's not like the branding, I'm, you know, this coin, I'm that crypto, I'm that whatever. It's just, hey, you know, here's the dollars, here's Bitcoin, which one do you want to get paid in? Right. Mm -hmm. Let's just normalize this and not make it a thing, you know? Yeah. So the and, cushion, the, we, mm -hmm. the cushion obviously is a cost. And so yep. when you're accounting for everything, right, you got the price of mailing a check, the price of payment processing through these right. things. And then the pipe, I mean, the price of paying in Bitcoin could either be, you know, an on-chain transaction fee, or if you happen to, ha happen to have a lightning wallet, it could be whatever the cost of like maintaining channel liquidity and all the other stuff. But so, but then there's the 15% on top of that 15% away. Um, does it, do you save some money by using this? So you're actually incentivized to, you know, give them a, di a, a discount, I guess. Like how, like, does it make sense? It like, does it make actual business sense today or is it more of a, an investment in the future kind of thing? It's a little of both, right? Like, that's the thing, like for me, I've been doing this for 22 years now mm -hmm. and I've just watched the, the pay for animators just kind of race to the bottom everywhere, right? It's such a global thing. And I personally, which I'm just looking at it from, from my own perspective, like I want to be able to preserve what I'm doing. I want to give my, my work value again. How do we mm -hmm. do that? And I know it's still a very early thing, but you know, the people that I, I've built, and that's the that's some part that I don't think I've really thought about much. It just kind of happens naturally, is that the people that I'm I'm paying in Bitcoin is like we've developed a much stronger relationship because of that. You know, mm -hmm. if there's a problem, I'm here to help, right? Um, let's talk about it. What's the issue? You know, how, how can we be of service? And so for them, it's like yeah, there's that investment in the future, um, and the other part is just looking out for the well-being of my team, right? Because mm -hmm. There's people that, you know, they don't have a bank account still uh, or they live in parts of the world where it's like uh, their their currency is wildly volatile, you know. So how do I take care of them as best they can? Right. Um, and then as far as the incentives goes, I mean, the uh, capital gains and all that's like, yeah, but you can harvest your capital loss, too. You know, yeah. and if you've got millions in revenue and you're going to get hit, you know, with a high, you know, percentage on your taxes at the end of the year i mean you want to try to find places to to take the loss where you can you know obviously you don't want to go to a point where it's like i'm breaking even or i'm in the red but you know hey i, I can take this one it's going to help me out this quarter you know or uh, i know the valuation is going to go up you know just because of usage and and how things play out you know on the markets um so we'll hedge on that one so, I mean, it's been very good for us. Uh, I know our, our CPA and bookkeeper, uh, I, I give like them great hairs, and, but <laughs> you know, we try to be as organized and detailed as possible. And it's been pretty good. 
you know, I mean, we've got a system now where it works for us and you know, maybe one day we'll write a book about like how we do it and then share yeah. that out, you know, maybe open source and just be like, Hey, here's, here's a website that everything that we've done, you know, and take this for what it's worth. Yeah. I mean, I would like to have, um, conversations with, um, for example, Roger Ver, who is a big proponent of paying in crypto. And then also the edge wallet people, I think they paid their salaries in Bitcoin for many years. And right. I know they, I know like it's been a little difficult, like in some ways because of just like the, the payroll systems aren't really there and all this kind of stuff. Um, so you have to like keep separate accounting and just like manually pay it as different addresses. And I'm sure all that stuff is like way more advanced today. Yeah. You know? It's getting better. Like it's getting better, like with each month something new pops out you know it's getting smoother mm -hmm. which is you know really nice i mean now i know our cpa was very skeptical about the whole thing to begin with still a little on the skeptical side but you know mm -hmm. after we change the accounting a little bit and how we process things it's like okay i can see the value in it right like his experience has been everybody kind of day trades and you know they make large sums that's of fiat the, that's the real crypto experience for like 99.9% .9 of the world, you know, it's true. Yeah. And so, but, so he's kind of confused when he's like, you guys are actually using this as, as money. I'm like, mm -hmm. yeah, it's like, that's, that's what I understood this to be. And mm -hmm. there's a, I was at a meetup uh, a couple of days ago and that was kind of the, the debate. It's like, I think like I've been using crypto for, you know, several months, you know, a little less than a year and he's like, it's a store of value. All right, well, what's the value? You know, and everybody will talk price, but no one will talk the value of things, you know? Yeah. And where did the two... price, where did the price come from? Right. And that's sort of the conversation that we're not having is mm -hmm. what is value? What does it mean? You know, is it the miners? No, it's not the miners. It's, you know, it's not the brand. It's the power to transact, you know? Mm-hmm. It gives a new, new meaning to the phrase purchasing power. You know, if you don't have any power to purchase, right? It's yeah, that's that's huge. That's wildly like to me, it's wildly undervalued, you know, at this point. Yeah. And there's a lot of ways um, of sort of quantifying that. Um, I remember and this is just like the emotional set because you could talk all day long about like the fees this and the middleman that and all this kind of stuff. But I remember having a negative experience with money most of my life before I switched to crypto. They're just, there's like an apprehension to it of like, is the card going to work? For example, you know, because mm. sometimes it doesn't or, you know, which sometimes I do get anxiety with like certain payment processors with crypto. Of like, oh, is it going to work? Because it's such a complicated new space. But as far as like, is the car going to work? And then like the authorization thing, like we put your account on hold or this and that, or like, like all the, all the, it's just money. Fiat money is a very like serious business kind of a thing. It's kind of like going into like a government office and like, do you swear hereby swear that all the information is correct? And just give yeah, like you're on edge. It's like a very on edge experience. And when you look at your bank account, especially when you're a poor person, and you never know, you never know, no one knows what they're going to find when they look at the, a bank account, their checking account, let's just say, mm -hmm. because it's going to be different all the time because anyone who you gave that like card number to 
can just take money out of the account. You know, and, right. and of course you get dispute charges and other things, but it's this thing where you never know how much money you have. And there's right. the anxiety as a poor person. Like, what if I got hit, hit with a bill and now I can't afford this thing? You just never know. Since crypto, it's not been necessarily stress-free, but I feel I enjoy using the money. I enjoy right. moments notice. Never have to like think twice about like, well, is this going to be documented the right way? Or it just works. You just do it and it works. And right. there's just something about that, the free flow. It's kind of like speaking on an uncensored forum where you're not scared of like a moderator flagging you and like shutting down your whole account because he said the wrong thing. There's just, there's this joy that comes with the freedom of exercising something, you know, being right. free, being loose. And just like when people are, are scared or socially anxious and then they have a couple drinks and then they, they lose, they get loosened up. They love it. They're having fun because they could say whatever right. they want kind of now. It's the same sort of a feeling with, you know, money. And, and there's a lot of, uh, I'm sure it's hard to, quantify like the fun like the, the, the benefits of using crypto like it's hard to quantify them all the way to be like well i saved this much money or i unlocked these opportunities or i removed this much friction it's really hard to kind of quantify it but like over a long period of time i mean i can't imagine switching back to you know using fiat on a day-to-day basis it would be a little little rough yeah, it's, I mean, my experience, like with banks, you know, I have a good relationship with my banker, you know, for the business, mm-hmm. you know, but man, even he has frustrations dealing with, you know, their systems that they have to go through. And I think the part where you're mentioning, you know, you, you're not worried about, you know, whether this is going to work or not, is because you have, you know what you have, right? You know, you know how much money you have at a given point in time and what kind of funds you can use Mm-hmm. that's been, for a lot of people that's liberating but that, i think that's also the part of sound money which also which people don't really talk about either right everyone's like this is the soundest money in the world this is the soundest money in the world this is you know we want uh austrian economic systems we want this in play but you know have they ever actually used mm-hmm. that right most people that i know are still really heavy on the credit cards right and they'll swipe and swipe and swipe, take care of things now and immediately. And then they'll look back at their bank statements, be like, oh, I overpaid for this. I have an overdraft for that because nobody really knows what money is, right? Mm -hmm. And it's like, yeah, well, part of sound money is you have it or you don't, you know, you're you're not gonna try and, uh, you know, get a loan, use your credit cards to take care of all the stuff. It's like, you have what you have, right? Yeah you can feel a little bit more confident in that. And I think the issue with saving in fiat currencies, of course, is also, you know, obviously the devaluation, right? Um, but even more so is the idea that, like you were talking about on the forums, if, if somebody, if the moderator doesn't like what you have to say, you know, they kick you out. And in the fiat system, if you're late on a bill, you know, from your credit card company or, you know, you owe your taxes and, and you miss a date, you know, they seize your accounts. That's essentially sensing you out of the forum, right? Mm-hmm. So not only do you have what you have and you can feel confident in spending, but you also can feel confident knowing that your funds are in your control. And that's a part, I, I think a lot of people in the space, at least from what I've been seeing, you know, on. Don't, don't use it because when they do use it, do you feel the joy a little bit, you know? Where 
so I am probably more acutely affected by bear markets than anyone except for those lunatics who just got <laughs> obliterated, right? Yeah. But emotionally, I'm affected much less because I, using stuff on a day-to-day basis, I get the utility day-to-day and the purchasing power fluctuates, but the utility, the, the experience just gets better year after year. Right. And uh, it's kind of interesting to see like the, f- how do you quantify, f- being able to quantify freedom because there is a, a price on things, right? People do, everything has a price. You know, every little inconvenience has a price. Every convenience has a price. And so there's just something about like the control over your money that, so like when a payment, I've experienced before when I'm trying to, like I receive a payment or I've, you know, I, something happens with the app I'm using where Mm -hmm. it doesn't show the right amount. Like I didn't get this or I don't have anything in there. And then a lot, a lot more often it happens when I'm showing new people how to use this stuff. But then it's like, you can always go to the block explorer and find the ultimate source of truth. Like, well, let's just see. Boom. Okay. Well, you still have it. We just like, I had a, you know, a friend of mine who, you know, was like, oh, I, I, I'm trying to like sell some crypto here. And I just opened my, my hardware wall and I don't have all this is missing of this coin. I can't get it. Like what happened? And so then I'm just like, do a little sniff around a little forensics and stuff. And of course it's all there because nothing is in a wallet doesn't contain funds in crypto. Right. Like auto wallet it doesn't contain funds. It's just the keys, the magic keys to the digital hyperledger, whatever that contains right. everything. And if you just see like, if you get to, if just seeing it like behind the glass on the, the block explorer, just like, ah, well, it's still there. I just haven't figured out how to fix the app so I can get at it and move it, but it's still there and it's still firmly in my control. And to like a different level, there's another friend who went through a very, as far as I know, a very amicable divorce that otherwise would have very much not been an amicable divorce because of the percentage of net worth in um, in private key held crypto of right. where it's, if you have money, money, like if you have like fiat in accounts, places and stuff, it's a lot easier to just like have someone say arbitrarily, well, according to this, we want, we want to give all this to someone else through whatever circumstances justified or not. And then you just get wrecked. But if you have your own keys, it's just with your own crypto, you know, there's, I guess there's still a way of like compelling you to give stuff up, just saying you owe this and there's consequences without this, but they don't just like run off with your money because it's, it's your money. It's not money that you're using today. It's actually your money. And that's something that's like, it's hard for people to wrap their head around, you know, getting like the actual ownership of a digital asset, you know? And the fact that they don't own other digital assets. Yeah, I think it's just ownership in general. Because, mm-hmm. I mean, I think the part of the point that you're not in control. Yeah. You know? So when you have, when you have, when people understand fiat, like that's for me, it's like fiat, oh, I don't actually own it. Like if you took the time to read Dodd-Frank, you know, and mm-hmm. the clauses within the banking system, and you realize the moment you hand your check or your cash over to them, it's no longer your property should terrify mm-hmm. everyone, right? 
Yeah. Um, bank balance are a real thing and people are, are very unaware of it, but maybe subconsciously people still feel that sense of anxiety. It's like, I don't own anything, right? What do you mm -hmm. truly, truly own? Um, I know Brian Harrington was posting about, uh, you know, home ownership and all that. And it's like, okay, you know, there's the concept of, do you really own your home if you don't pay your taxes, et cetera. But that's really the bigger conversation. The bigger topic on that one is, Hey, you know, yeah, I owe the government something. I, I, I'm still yeah. paying rent to somebody. It's like that one, remember there was a Canadian clause in, in their real estate uh, yeah, that. book, which blew my mind, right? It's like, you're you're only getting a license to live here. Yeah, you're getting you a lease from the government. Yeah, so it's like that sort of anxiety, it, you know, might sound trivial, but it's still there knowing that, do I really own this? Do I really own that? You know, do I really mm -hmm. have any possessions that is my own, that I'm not... Uh, paying somebody to rent or to hold. I mean, even the idea that, you know, we pay capital gains tax, you know, on any asset that we sell, it's like, well, do we really own that too? Right. Mm -hmm. we, we just we got the privilege. <laughs> yeah. We got, we got the privilege to hold it for a while, you know, tax free until we spend it. And now it's, Hey, you know, pay your fair share. So I, yeah. I think there's like this, global consciousness of people feeling various levels of anxiety, right? Mm -hmm. Especially those at the top where, you know, most of the lifestyle is funded on debt, you know, and yeah, it makes you very, very nervous all the time. And so yeah, you feel empowered with, you know, crypto, or with Bitcoin, because they're yours, right? And yeah, if wants to take it away from you. Well, you know, they've got to negotiate peacefully and, and transact or you're not getting it, right? Yeah, it's it's kind of like on your terms. And there's just something about putting consent back into the thing kind of makes systems stronger because the relationship's kind of, uh, if it's based on ownership and consent, then you don't just, you don't get to make deals with people that they're not satisfied with as long as they don't get so dissatisfied that they do something very drastic. like. Right. It's kind of like like with a government system, you're doing things to your people that they don't like. They really don't like it, but you're getting away with it. You just if you push it too far, they're gonna like t throw the whole thing over, right? And the streets burn stuff down. So you can't go that far, but you there's a significant leeway of dissatisfaction you can put on people. Right. Whereas the tolerance for dissatisfaction in the free market is about as thin as you know the opportunity cost or the the mental cost of going to a competitor really. And so right. that whole thing where, you know, it's not like you're never going to pay a bill again if you're living on crypto, of course, you're going to still pay for everything, but there's always that like, you know what? Like, it's not like the gym membership has your direct deposit, your, you know, information and just keeps on taking money out of your account and you got to hassle them to get them to stop. It's just like you pay the gym and then you don't, when you don't go there and just don't. Right. And they, they can't, and now it's on them to try to shake, shake you down for more money to be like, Hey, can you come back and keep paying us? But otherwise it's just like, you know, the, the digital cash kind of component is kind of uh, interesting. Uh, there was yeah. something in, interesting in this story, but before that I did get a, a question from great wolf who said, you know, I will take the, I'll give him a freebie here. Um, he says, sounds like in his opinion, the ease of being able to transact is why crypto is valuable. Does that mean if Bitcoin ever gets so hard to transact because of high fees, does that mean Bitcoin becomes less valuable? So 
just generally, how have you, has your experience been then with the fee situation on Bitcoin? Because depending on, I mean, 2017, 2018 is like the horror years. But mm-hmm. other than that, there's, you know, there's been ups and downs and stuff. And, you know, how's that kind of affected you? It hasn't affected us much. You know, mm-hmm. it's, I mean, we've been managed to send out, you know, tens of thousands of dollars for like 15 cents, you know, and that wasn't bad. Mm-hmm. I mean, either we're yeah. just super lucky or we catch it. And, you know, when the mempool's low, um, but oftentimes it's like, yeah, we might pay a dollar here, but it's not anything that's of super heavy convenience, mm-hmm. but this is running it as a business, you know? Yeah. I'll take the fee and, you know, use that as expense write-offs, you know, I'll take what I can get too. Mm-hmm. Um, on the person, the person side of stuff, um, there is the, you know, I'm not a big spender as it is. So when I'm going to buy something, you know, with Bitcoin, it's like, well, how mm-hmm. bad do I really want it? Right. And the fee will often be the thing that determines, you know, whether I want to spend or not. And sometimes, again, I've been fortunate enough, you know, the last several months where the fees hasn't been too high. And I've been using Lightning, of course, which has just made it a little easier for me too. But uh, this is a topic that I've mentioned with, I I got into a debate with somebody about the whole sound money aspect, right? It's like, Mm -hmm. you're going to go to Amazon, you're going to buy something you really want. If you're not that much in a rush, you'll choose, you know, the free option. But if you really want it now, right, how much are you willing to pay for it? What's that transaction to you? So, mm-hmm. I mean, everybody, at least from what my conversation so far is like people want sound money to act like fiat money. And mm-hmm. I kind of find that really interesting and confusing because, well, you know, sound money has a different behavior mechanic than, you know, fiat does. You know, it's yeah. now, 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 now on one side. And the other one is like, well, I'm going to give this up. Is this worth it? Right. Mm-hmm. And what's the return value? So if the fee is is there and it's like, okay, I'm going to pay five bucks or whatever, then how much of this is worth it? Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, like, that's the part where I'm not really, I'm so confused with the whole stable coin thing. Cause like with Ethereum gas fees to send, you know, yeah. it's, it's absolutely ridiculous. So it's like, the theory it's makes almost no sense to me. Yeah. Like, <laughs> and I'm not even, I'm not saying that as an insult either. I think that Ethereum, it's clearly etched its place in history already. Like it's, it's clear yeah. for a while based on its pure innovation and especially in a, in a crowded field. Right. Whereas like Bitcoin mm-hmm. got first move. Like, let's be honest. Like if you compare Bitcoin and Litecoin, if Litecoin come out a couple of years before Bitcoin, I mean, I don't think anyone be using Bitcoin, really. I mean, it's hard. To, it's really hard to tell. Like, would all the network effect and all the development stuff just got... Because Litecoin is extremely similar other than the block times and then the total supply, which is, mm-hmm. you know, I guess kind of arbitrary. It's it's harder to tell, but like, you know, Ethereum clearly did stuff. However, I, I would like to know who's paying all these fees because I have used Bitcoin a little bit over the last few years. I have not used Ethereum because I can't. I just, I can't, I have, a, I have a bunch of, not a bunch, I have a, like a couple hundred bucks worth of random tokens and some Ethereum, and I can't do anything with them because if I consolidated them, they would be destroyed by fees. There'd be nothing left. And like stablecoin stuff, like I, I cannot understand why you would pay $20, $30 to move 
dollars, you know, you know, when you could ACH it and pay way less, right? You know, it, or I don't know, or comparable. It, it's I don't understand the appeal of that, but that's a. It, it's funny. The free market's never wrong. There's a reason why people are doing that, and the reason is because they they derive value from doing that in excess of the costs. And so, for example, what I realized with all this like DeFi stuff on Ethereum, it's that people get to make these crazy trades and make a lot of money in ways that they can't really do on centralized exchanges or don't want to do because they'd have to to KYC or there's the inherent risk of being KYC or the exchange going down all the centralized institution risks. And so they're right. they're paying all this extra money to not have to do that. But yeah, I mean, it's kind of crazy. And I guess there is a... Um, there's a premium on just kind of like the, the most expensive brands do pay you, you, a lot of times you pay a premium just for the brand name for whatever that, that comes with for the, the lack of uncertainty that that brings. And so I, I've kind of come to the conclusion where like when the fees were absurd with Bitcoin teen, when the Bitcoin fees were like 20, $30, like it's clearly, you know, but then lately that doesn't happen. Cause like, the fees might be a lot higher, but people like, I would rather pay 50 cents for a Bitcoin transaction than a 50th of a cent for a Bitcoin cash transaction. For example, is something a lot of people have opted for, or it's like, I'll spend one or $2 to use Bitcoin because if I used, let's just say Litecoin, I, you know, I'd have to like trade, you know, it'd be harder to use because not as many people care about it or I'd have to like eventually swap it for Bitcoin and which incurs an additional cost. So yeah, this kind of makes sense with that. What I find is very fascinating is how um, Bitcoin is the biggest privacy coin in the world, as much as I hate that term privacy coin. But there is more money in, first off, there's more money in the Whirlpool, which is like a big coin join that, you know, Samurai Wallet and other people use. Right. There's more money in the Whirlpool than there is in the Lightning Network. I'm, I can't imagine how expensive that's got to be to mix a big pot of Bitcoin with like, it's not just one transaction fee. You have to spend a bunch of transaction fees, but it's worth it to people because I guess the the liquidity of Bitcoin offers its own manner of privacy. And so they'd rather have a private Bitcoin transaction than in a lot of cases, like a Monero transaction where there's like fewer places to get it. And, you know, it's just, it's kind of, yeah, it's just interesting the way the fees work because people pay the 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 fee market is undefeated, right? The free market and the fee market is undefeated. It's, it tells you, it, you can't say it's wrong. People pay for what they pay for and it might just be lack of information. But eventually, if someone has the information on a better way, they're going to make a lot more money than the chumps paying the high fees. You know, it all, it all evens out in the end. Right. I mean, I think as far as like the fees go and all that stuff, but it, I don't know where that's going to end up in a few years, right? Mm hmm I know what's what's happening now, you know, like with Taproot, for example, you know, we've had excellent experience with Taproot, you know, and we've moved a lot of stuff on that on that side. And I mean, transaction costs are nil, you know, for mm -hmm. us, you know, and for me personally, you know, the privacy aspect of it has been really good too. Um, the thing that I, a lot of this stuff is engineering, right? I mean, over mm -hmm. time, you know, hopefully if we believe that, you know, people will want to design better products and services around it, they're going to, you know, um, yeah. there'll be a lot of arguing along the way. Um, 
but then I guess that's probably the difference between like Bitcoin, which is, it seems to be, yeah, it's slow. Thank God for a slow reason. Like you don't want it to, if this is going to last, you know, hundreds of years, you know, do we want to rush it in a, in a year, you know, or do we want it to take as long as it needs in order to you know, be as strong and as solid as it, as it's going to be, or mm-hmm. are we going to try to rush it, you know, so that way it can mimic fiat and, you know, then the other part that this is something I've heard from, you know, the new guys who've been taking crypto as payments and they start getting into it. It's like, you know, all the infighting in crypto, right? Yeah. So like that part is a big turnoff for the everyday person, you know? So, you know, much respect to Roger Veer. Um, mm-hmm. But some of the things that he said, you know, to other people or his fighting, you know, or, you know, the people he picks on or, you know, even Vitalik for, you know, his own, reasons you know the things some of the things that he says it's off-putting for some folks and that's where i feel like you know maybe the biggest flaw or or uh, liability to these projects are their founders you know you have a point of pressure or a point where that can break yeah and that can turn people away from them and it's well, like, well i mean let me just give a very concrete example on that uh, of two different ways that this is shaken out um and it's no secret. I'm not like because I'm long in the tooth in the crypto world. And there's a I'm not a fan of most founders or people like that. Uh, Monero's been very interesting. It flippened Bitcoin Cash to market cap very recently, yeah. and Roger Ver himself has been hinting. I, I I believe again. I'm not throwing. I have no idea what he, I could. I could just ask him. I'm sure he'd tell me. But I have a feeling he's moved, made some moves into Monero as well. But I remember, so Fluffy Pony was a guy who was not necessarily Monero's founder, mm-hmm. uh, but he was like the guy who ran the the show, which everyone says, oh, decentralized. Pro-. Yeah, but someone runs things. You know, it's like, let's be honest. He's a guy who ran shit for years, and he caused so many toxic divides with so many communities and gotten so many fights and direct like indirectly and indirectly courted so many like abject criminals to be part of the project and things like that and there's just a lot of shady things a lot of like it really held Monero back long term and then he kind of left the project like a couple years ago and he um since then he got like arrested over like fraud over like basically embezzling from his like cookie shop he used to work in it like doing invoices back in you can't make this up cookies but in south africa and so like okay. he, he like he, he he's someone in he's someone he doesn't like me i don't like him whatever but since his influence has gone away i think monero's done pretty well like obviously the market rankings compared to its contemporaries it seems to have done quite well but also like the monero toxicity like as i mentioned before like I wrote some article for Cointelegraph about one of the big darknet markets going exit scamming. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was one of the big ones that Monero was really, the Monero community was super promoting. And within 15 minutes of the article publication, there was like a, a straight down candle on the price. Like you, you saw it, like the price go down, go. but, but it's still <laughs> like, it's still like, you know, violent intent and stuff. And they, like the community is known for being like toxic and terrible. And then now there might be some people around that still do that, but they kind of, they graduated past that phase. I think, I think right. they're, they're just real people now. And then 
Litecoin was another one that was just, it was kind of like Doge. It didn't exist. Basically, it was on its way out. And then Charlie Lee got it on Coinbase and then mega pumped it and then all that kind of stuff. Um, it was the first Coinbase pump coin, you know, back when that, that still had its power. And it's kind of like Doge. Like Doge was also like nowhere, like adrift until Elon, who's like the new founder, sort of, just by a couple of mystical tweets, just had its heyday. And then now it's, you know, kind of sliding. But you right. kind of do see like the, the, um, I think that unfortunately with crypto, a lot of projects live and die by their founders. And it's basically every project is a little like that. And Bitcoin had this interesting, like Satoshi did so much right and then got out of the way at an, at a great juncture when it was when there was enough guidance, but mm-hmm. then not too much to where it's like, now it's all about Satoshi. Who's Satoshi? What are you going to do? And yeah. I mean, I would also argue though that the block size wars are sort of a a a illness caused by Satoshi's absence. Meaning, if there'd been like Gavin Andreessen as the clear inheritor of Satoshi's legacy, ended up kind of getting pushed to the side, and then the the next generation of devs sort of took it in the the off chain scaling direction, and it could have been like, what if Bitcoin had gone the Bitcoin cash route since the beginning? Could have been very different. I, there's a lot of like, who knows to that. Yeah, but today it, I do say that having no founder's legacy hanging over the thing makes it a much more, I guess, trustable. You can kind of trust it more, you know, the way it yeah, is. Because the thing that, that kind of gets me mm-hmm. is... Like if this is people like this is supposed to be money, and mm-hmm. these founders are just you know out there being charismatic and outspoken, and then it damages somebody's you know monetary ability to pay things and their value. I'm like, that's that's damaged trust, right? And I know mm-hmm. like the, the motto is like you know don't trust verify, but that's as far as the transaction goes, you know. But you know people are first. You know, for a fact, trusting in a system, right? Mm-hmm. People trust fiat up to a certain point until they find out, hey, you know, it's riddled with abuse. And then, you know, crypto, you know, all these founders being, you know, what they are, yeah, it, it's it's a liability. And, you know, you burn people. And it's like, how many people are going to ever come back again, right? They'll, they'll mm-hmm. leave the marketplace altogether. And so the thing that I've noticed is like, it's just, it's so young and early. And, the way a lot of ego gets in the way uh, is very, very dangerous, right? And people, you know, you, you screw it up, you know, how many chances do you get again, right? And, um, you know, with regards to the block size, that's one that I've always been, I've been still digging into this, you know, like for us in the Western yeah. world, like that's a big, you know, it's nothing, right? What's a megabyte? But, you know, somebody who's, you know, in Central South America still operating on flip phones, you know, mm-hmm. it's like that megabyte is pretty expensive, you know, and being able to run their own node and get the parts and, you know, or in another remote part of the world where it's not easily accessible. It's like, yeah, it might make sense for a smaller block size in order for more to participate. Maybe, I don't mm-hmm. know. I wasn't there. Um, but that's, 
that's just one of those things I look at. It's like a lot of that stuff is engineering. You know, hopefully it does get resolved. Like I'm not an engineer. I'm an artist. I have mm -hmm. a pencil. I just, you know, yeah. picked our stylus and drawn pixels. Um, but yeah, I think the founders are a liability. It's like, just, you know, stop bringing the spotlight. And sometimes I also wonder what was the ultimatum, you know, for, for making the, the fork or the split or a new chain or whatever. And mm -hmm. that's the part where I, just from, you know, from my side with new people getting into it, they'll look into stuff and be like, Hey, do you know this coin? Here's this founder. And, you know, they'll follow and then they'll get discouraged because it's something that they said or yeah, it's like crazy. Yeah. So, I mean, you're messing with people's money, right? It's a highly sensitive, you know, topic. So it's like, I don't know if these founders are aware of that. You know, mm -hmm. you know, it's like, hey, you know, if you say something out of line or you you create this toxicity, people will leave. Your project will die. And, you know, it's not supposed to be a project. It's supposed to be money. Right. Yeah, of course. It's supposed to be, so, you know, kind of evergreen in that way. And one thing I think is kind of funny about the founder, if you're into looking up into founders, uh, look into Dan Larimer because yeah. <laughs> his his legacy is interesting. And and I know a lot of people that use it. And I know a lot of people who came into crypto from Steam and Hive, like directly, they didn't even come to Bitcoin first. And then I didn't care for EOS at all, but I know, I think the one of the most popular NFT blockchains is the Wax blockchain, which is based on EOS. And it got tons of usage and stuff like that. And there's there's a leg, clearly like a legacy to this dude's work, but at the same time, you know, he comes out there with bit shares and then right when he gets tired of bit shares, he just like, he just dumps the project and it kind of goes away and he jumps over to steam. And then if he gets bored of steam. He dumps the project and then that goes away and he goes to EOS. It's super hyped. It's like one of these big things. They spend like $20 million on a domain name or whatever the hell, all that stuff. And then eventually he just dumps that. And now he's like trying to move on to something else. And like EOS has just gone in the toilet since then. And it's kind of like, he's, he's the serial founder as far as like the ride or die, like, you know, live or die by the founder's word kind of guy. And right. whenever he's there, you know, his, the product does well and he gets tired of it and jumps to something new, which is kind of, it's kind of interesting. I mean, it, I'm kind of looking at it as like, imagine you're living in a country where, mm -hmm. you know, the ruler is like, Hey, this is the money we're using today. Okay. I'm bored with that. Let's change it to something else. Cause I don't like this. No more. Yeah. Right? And it's like, how, how dangerous is that? You know? Yeah, the projects might be interesting, but, you know, a lot of regular people who want to get into mm -hmm. this, space, you know, they want to use it and they don't, you know, they're not technically sound, which is, you know, frighteningly more than what people anticipate, you know, it to actually be. Um, it's like, it's, it's scary, right? So, yeah, I'm going to use this project because, you know, it's faster, cheaper, you know, uh, the block size is infinite. Yeah. And then the founder goes away or like I dump it and it's like, well, what do I do with my money now? You know? Yeah. <laughs> it's such a, yeah. 20% basically risk-free, you know? Yeah. Well, you are the yield, right? And yeah, and that's the other part. I think uh, with Celsius now is having some, uh, mm -hmm. some interesting, you know, topics being brought up about, you know, what's going on with, um, I forgot his name, Alex something. Um, mm -hmm. But it's like, yeah, it's, probably just, you know, shut up, go away. Like, just let your, I don't know, it's, it's almost a, it is very Hollywood-like, you know? Mm -hmm. 
you have uh, Josh Whedon, who at one point was really big for Buffy the Vampire Slayer and Marvel. And then he becomes an outspoken activist. And then people start digging into his history and past. And now nobody wants to hire Josh Whedon again or ever watch a movie that he's made. And, you know, it's easy to yeah. wreck, you know, reputation. I mean, so, isn't the um, the Depp Heard trial going on right now about that kind of a thing? Like the the Pirates franchise living and dying by this one man and then through you know i i'm not familiar enough to the situation to definitively say he's the good guy in this situation but it seems like it seems like he got you know besmirched but whatever it is it's just now it's like the you can't have pirates without him it just yeah can't really it doesn't really work right and so i just kind of see the correlations between the two mm -hmm. you know industries that's like yeah that's I've seen it, you know, tons of times, you know, where the writer, director, producer, production company, whatever, does something inappropriate or out of whack, out of line, and then the project's dead, right? And uh, I've seen millions of dollars being pumped into, you know, production, and <laughs> the the top voice actor does something out of turn, and then all of a sudden the project is pulled never even though there's been millions of dollars you know invested in it never to see the light of day yeah it's like it that is. that's that's terrifying you know yeah that is pretty insane let's wrap up on this story here uh All right. developing countries love metaverse rich nations not so keen wef survey developing countries have more than double the amount of people positive that the metaverse will impact their lives and they use it on a day-to-day -day basis in comparison with developed countries, China, India, Peru, India being 75%. And if you look at the little um, graph for the survey, it's like, yeah, it shows it like the, the more developing the countries almost, it seems, the <laughs> higher the sentiment towards the metaverse, you know, the metaverse as if it's like one thing. But um, yeah, what's your, what's your take on that thing? I'm mixed, very mixed. Mm -hmm. Um to me, it just screams out people's desire to to own things, mm -hmm. to own their identity, to own you know something, but they can't do it in the present state, right? Mm -hmm. There's something that they can't hold on to right now physically, whether that's you know their money, their possessions, their relationships, whatever the case may be, and so the metaverse is kind of that ready player one escape, right? Yeah. Um, so it's interesting to see how things are developing. Um, I mean, during the lockdowns in 2020, how animal crossing was the main work hub for a lot of people, which, uh, I thought was really weird and entertaining at the same time. Um, and watching Facebook's meta, you know, just kind of take place. And it's like, is this how it's really going to be? You know, mm -hmm. like, even though we're doing things remotely, you know, you're still a person on the other end of the screen. You know, my, my soon to be is on the other side of the room. Um, mm -hmm. You know, you still bump into people if you go to a cafe or a restaurant, you know, and that's, you know, in the developed world. Yeah. We, we still enjoy those you know privileges and, you know, things to have, but you know, places where like in China, like, what do you really own? I don't know. I have, I don't live there. I don't know what it's really like, but um, that just, to me, it just seems like the escape. And people well, wanting that. Yeah, I mean, it is kind of interesting because when you got physical property, uh, 
that's one thing I, I've learned is the people at the very top of the pyramid are always doing okay. Like Kim Jong-un is doing fine, you know, his people, not so much. And so there's always, there's always people who are like doing well in, you know, whatever developed countries, but, it, but in developing countries, uh, the resources are probably controlled a lot more by the powers that be that kind of don't really give the, the people the freedom to acquire their own capital in a lot of ways, at least not, right. there, there just isn't those, there isn't the same opportunity, but in the digital world, they're equal. So like if you're, if you are a young kid in Ghana versus a young kid in, let's just say Minneapolis, right? Right. There's a giant disparity in your opportunity, your lifetime opportunity you know, based on the way Africa's going, it might be quite different in like 50 years. But like right now, there's a huge disparity in opportunity between those two people. But if they get on the computer and start messing around with the metaverse, all of a sudden they're the same. All of a sudden, right. you know, except one might have you know a little bit more drive even to get there. And so when you start owning digital property and moving into the digital space, just like with with starting with Bitcoin, you could own digital property like actually own your money and control your own money and then you're starting to add other things that you have that you can own like what if you spend enough time to where your your the value of your metaversal being (laughs) when you know we're in a weird weird territory here right but is the same as people on you know the developed world and then that can then reflect you can parlay that into your into the meat space and get to a better meat space from there. And so yeah, I mean, it's kind yeah, of interesting the way that works. Yeah. This is where like, again, like I'm mixed mm-hmm. because, you know, with remote work, like my company started remotely and, mm-hmm. you know, people were calling me, you know, crazy for doing something like that, you know? And, but for me, it put me on equal ground. <laughs> so with... funny how like the crypto to the crypto world, it's yeah. just like, what you have an office, what are you a chump? Like it's kind of the, diff- the opposite. Yeah, I mean, it's just it, people call me crazy for doing it, um, mm-hmm. but you know, it put me on equal footing with some of the larger production companies, mm-hmm. and you know, you had to hustle a lot harder and, and build from there. And so, I kind of see the same, you know, opportunity for people in the metaverse, where yeah, you know, you could create new businesses and ventures. I think, just in my own experience with like having the, the business now one hundred percent remote. Is that you know I'm, I'm doing things from home you know mm-hmm. and sometimes we have to we've been going to a uh, a shared workspace every now and then just to remind ourselves what it's like to be around other human beings sensibilities and all that stuff you know you try to be in a civilized place mm-hmm. um, and I think maybe that's something where the trappings of the metaverse might you know I don't know if it's going to be good or good or bad on that part like if somebody lives their life entirely in the metaverse and they never have human contact maybe that's what they want and it works for them you know Um, but i mean i have i I really i'm just i'm just split i don't know which way to go yeah well could be both ways right because if i think about it um if people spend it's always like value versus scarcity right and when you have people value the physical world and especially when like 
physical objects become rare and the right. physical world becomes rare, it then pumps the price. And so even when you're not talking about a, a market specifically, like I have worked in offices before and I didn't really enjoy it. And you just like see the same people every day in and out. And then now when I work digitally and I see a work colleague in the real world, I think there's a lot there's, I value that a lot more than I would have if I saw them every day. And so I think that what it's going to do is um, it's going to make more efficient a lot of the, the physical interactions that we don't want to have. They're kind of mundane. And then right. it just it's sort of like uh, when you're doing like online ordering or self-checkout. It's like you don't have to do this annoying, unpleasant thing with a human being. You can just do it more efficiently with a, a screen and get out of there. And then you save all your human interaction potential and cravings for something you really value. You know, you kind of like redirect that there. And so I, I think that the the metaverse is going to start to, it's going to build, it's obviously a new world. There's going to be people whose whole lives are on there, but at some point it's going to add the scarcity to IRL, like the, the value of like IRL Kings. Right. So like if you can, if you're like, everyone's just on their, on their same thing, but it's like, Oh, but guess what? Like I have like verifiable evidence that I, I hiked the Andes mountains. And then it's like the right. people that don't, it's just like, well, it's like right now it's like any jackass in their Instagram, you know, because they, their parents are rich or they travel or whatever. But like, if everyone's doing that, like now it's going to all of a sudden be, you know, something of like greater value. Or if you're in great physical shape, let's say, and yeah. fewer people are, probably in great physical shape if you don't have to be if you just have to be you know working on your your the cut of your abs and your skin and your nft skin you know you you buy the next the ab skin <laughs> like, however whatever ridiculous nonsense is going to end up being you're, but then in the real world you don't have it but then the people who do have it in the real world all of a sudden that's a bigger premium than just any old in shape person so it's going to be interesting yeah. to see the 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 play back and forth between the, the digital and the physical. Yeah. I, I think the, like I'm, I'm an introvert, you know, mm -hmm. by, by nature default, whatever. And, you know, meeting up with other introverts is, is always pleasant. You know, for some reason or mm -hmm. another, you can just vibe and be like, Oh yeah, it's, we're the same. But once you get in with an extrovert and uh, you know, it's draining, it's soul sucking and it's, it's the worst. Um, Too much. Yeah. <laughs> yeah so like conferences i die like every time and i feel like i need you know several years of vacation before i can recoup and go to the next one um but i mean at the same time it's like yeah the scarcity of meeting people i mean it's happening right now right like most people mm -hmm. like in offices who work remote you know tend to just stay in and then you know you're able to go outside and you know enjoy a farmer's market or go downtown and just you know buy some food or mm -hmm. you know, like fortunate enough to have the beach close by so just like walk by the ocean and you know hey this is great what the hell are we doing inside all day you know mm -hmm. um i mean i'm interested to see where it goes it's that's it that's it's really it for me i just want to see where it goes what happens what's next and yeah life's interesting you know yeah we shouldn't have to wait too long to see well it seems like a great point to wrap this whole thing on thanks for being on for you know pushing two hours here um, where could people find more about you and what you do and just everything you want to shell? 
So you can find more about my company at echo-bridge.com. And mm-hmm. usually we have a blog that we update, you know, fairly inconsistency, just when we have something to mm-hmm. say. Uh, I'm on Twitter at SVNBTC. Uh, you can mm-hmm. always find out on uh, Joel's links that he's been retweeting. Um, yeah. I tend to be very, very low profile. So mm-hmm. I keep my, my digital presence scarce. Yeah. Well, there we, there we go. Um, everyone follow him on Twitter. He's a good, a good follow with like no followers. So you get in <laughs> on the ground floor, you get on the ground floor there. Um, and yeah, everyone have a great weekend and I will see you guys next week. Thanks so much for listening. If you enjoyed the podcast, subscribe so you don't miss an episode and donate to support the show by going to my coin tree page. That's cointr.ee slash the desert links and leave a message with your donation. Check out the show's sponsors. Live on crypto with BitRefill. Buy absolutely anything with crypto with Shop and Bit. Avoid content censorship with Odyssey. Protect your privacy online with NordVPN. Get paid to search with PreSearch. All links are in the show notes.